here in the youth house on Sunday mornings, and so um, I'm going to be teaching um, something like you you would hopefully hear over there. Um, and and I've, I've tried to. Uh, is this a little loud? No. Okay. No. All right. Yeah. And no. We had both. Um, <clears throat> but I but I tried to uh, you know hopefully. Uh, seek to apply it to a Sunday night church group. Faith without works is dead, is really the ethos of what James is getting at here. And the, the great thing about a Sunday night crowd is, is usually the Sunday night crowd is the faithful crowd. You know, they're the ones who, who want to be um, active in the body. They want to they hear the preaching and teaching of God's word. They want to do God's word. And so uh, it, it, it's kind of an element of preaching to the choir, but, I, but we can't over extend God's word here, all right? E- e- even though uh, we know uh, for a lot of our individual lives that we are secure in the faith, and yes, we have those works that accompany that faith and affirm that faith uh, at the human experience level, uh, we also want to test ourselves and evaluate ourselves. Um, and, I, and I need to do, to do the same, even as I prepare uh, for such a message. Um, <clears throat> I coach basketball over at the college, Boyce College. It's a, primarily a ministry training school, um, and, and uh, most of the people there are pursuing ministry degrees. They're doing youth ministry type stuff, missions, preaching, pastoral ministry. Uh, we, we've recently added a business degree program and whatnot, but, but you really do have to have a clear profession of faith to get into the school at all. You have to. I, I used to be over the admissions office as well, and the three key things that we look for is, hey, Tell us what the gospel is. Tell us about your conversion experience. And then also tell us how the college fits into where you're going in life. Do you want to do ministry? How does it prepare you? Etc. You also have to have a pastor come alongside of you and sign his name to you coming to Boyce to prepare for ministry. Okay? And uh, I, I get the great privilege of uh, coaching a sport that I absolutely love with a bunch of guys who uh, are great. But there's been multiple occasions where these young men, and I'm just going to speak of the basketball team because that's my experience, where these young, and this happens from time to time, it's really sad, but it does happen. These young men who have clearly stated the gospel in their application, have in some way uh, lived the gospel out, um, they've had a conversion experience. They've lived the gospel out in a way, or, or at least the faith out, in a way that would fool a pastor to signing their name to say, yes, this person belongs at Boyce College to do ministry. And there, there are two gentlemen in particular that I think back to, one early this year and one last year, um, who had this profession they walked. It, they 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 said these certain things. They talked the Christian talk. Yet they did not live Christian lives. They struggled with things like I, I'm. I'm not going to mention their names, but they struggled with things like drunkenness. These men preparing for ministry. They struggle with things like smoking marijuana. They struggle with things like pornography, in an addictive way. It in all of these things addictive. And whenever you experience and you see that, you really have to take a step back. These men are here preparing for ministry, yet they are so deceived. Their walk does not match their faith. And we too, as a church, uh, 
need to, te- need, need to evaluate our hearts um, as, as church members, just like these gentlemen do. Who, who never, if you would have asked them when they came to Boyce or would have told them, you know, hey, bro, you know, next year you're going to be addicted to weed and you're going to be getting drunk all the time and uh, addicted to pornography, they would probably say, no, nah, not me, man, <laughs> not me, uh, I'm in the faith. But, but time tells. In the human experience, as time goes on, um, there are inconsistencies uh, from time to time with how people or what people profess and how they live their lives. Okay? And that's, that's really where we are. Um, and, and, and none of us are above that, too, are we? Uh, none, of, none of us are above that. And so what James is going to be talking about here is two different types of faith. He's going to be talking about a saving faith that evidences itself and confirms itself with works. It makes it evident for everyone to see, for you to see, etc. But he's also going to be talking about a counterfeit type faith, which I believe, sadly, that those two basketball players that I love and, and I even still reach out to and care for, and try, to, and try to lead as best I can, even though they are not at Boyce anymore, because they got the boot. Um, you know, I, I pray that they would, they would come to saving faith, but what they have is a counterfeit faith. They have a counterfeit faith. And so for our scope of listening tonight, uh, so as the Sunday night crowd, who is the faithful, uh, the ones who are serving a lot, what, what do we need to listen for? Well, first of all, I'd like for you to listen for yourself. Evaluate your own heart and yourself uh, as we look at what James has to say for us. And then also, secondly, we need to evaluate our presentation of the gospel. I'm afraid that far too often in Southern Baptist life, we have a gospel of you walk the aisle, we'll give you a little pat on the back, we'll come shake your hand at the front, congratulations, we're, we're thankful that you have accepted Jesus, and then you leave and you, and you don't follow up on that with your life. And we need to make sure that we are holding to and proclaiming uh, as a church and then even as uh, disciple makers a gospel that, it, that matches with, with this type of gospel that James is talking about. A gospel that is transformative, not a gospel of just mere knowledge. So that's the second thing we need to evaluate. Uh, and, and thirdly, we need to evaluate um, the profession of those with whom we are in relationship. All right? with your grandchildren, with your children, uh, with your friends. You know, we are accountable to some degree or another because of the Great Commission for the spiritual um, condition of others. When we know a brother has fallen, or if we know if someone is lost, we we have a mandate in Scripture to care for them, to lead them, to pray for them, to share the gospel with them. And I know far too often, uh, too, we can assume, and I've seen this so often in life, um, in youth ministry, parents will sometimes just assume uh, that children are believers. You know, they they maybe walked an aisle or they said something just right. But but how can we confirm this? Are they, are they just utterly disobedient when they go to college? Do they fall off and just get drunk and party all the time? And 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 what does that mean, really? Is was their faith real genuine or was it counterfeit? And so those are the three categories. Ourselves, what, what are the, what, what's the gospel message that we're proclaiming to others? And then let's think about the lives of those around us. Not in a judgmental type way, but in an accountability type way. Because we need to speak into those uh, types of situations. 
we'll go ahead and um, open up the text here. If you'll start with me in chapter 2, verse 14, we'll read all the way down to verse 26. For what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things, that, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, O foolish person, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now a lot of times this, this uh, passage... Um, is contradictory. Whenever, whenever you think about the book of James, at least when I think about the book of James, the theme that pops in my head is faith without works is dead. And a lot of times um, that is the case because of the mere controversy that surrounds this particular verse uh, found in uh, verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We generally as humans remember people and things by controversy. If I say Richard Nixon. Exactly. Watergate. Nothing else that he did. You know, but, but we think Watergate. Or Bill Clinton. <laughs> Alright, you know, it's just... You, nothing else that he did, but we remember the controversy. And so whenever we think about the book of James, a lot of times we go, ah, he's the, he's the, the salvation by work guy. And you know what? There's been a lot of theologians in the past um, who have really... Uh, discounted uh, some of what James has said. Uh, one popular theologian uh, from antiquity, a very influential guy, uh, called it an epistle of straw. Uh, this is not an epistle of straw. And this in no way, shape, or form is contradictory to anything that Paul has said. And that's usually the battle uh, you see. You see a Pauline gospel uh, in that controversy of, of grace versus works. And then you see a James-type gospel. But really, these Gospels are the same. These men held to the same Gospel. Um, and there, there are three reasons that we know that this is true. And I'm just going to state these uh, pretty quickly. And the reason we have two different uh, approaches to, to what they're dealing with is, is, one, they were facing two different situations. Okay, Paul, a lot of times, is dealing with people who say, you are saved by, yes, grace, but also circumcision. Works of the law and, and various types of things like that. James is dealing with people who proclaim that they are believers, but who live licentiously. They don't have any type of moral code that they, that they don't, they're not obedient to Christ. They, they don't live by the law. They just 
yeah, sure. I can talk the, the Jesus talk. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm down with Jesus, even though my life doesn't match that. That's the situation that James is speaking into. We also know that, that they aren't contradicting one another because they have two different meanings um, by their word works. Okay? Uh, whenever Paul is using the word works, he's referring to works of the law, like I just said. And when James uses the word works, he's referring to acts of love okay? and works of love. And we'll see that played out uh, a little bit um, in, in just a little bit. And then thirdly, we know that James is not offering a new uh, type of salvation or a new type of faith. Uh, what he's looking to do and seeking to do is contrasting or, or laying out the, the, the distinctions between saving faith and counterfeit faith. And so they're, they're not proclaiming two gospels at all. They actually go hand in hand really well together. Um, and, and that is certainly a good thing. And I'm thankful that we have a Bible that doesn't contradict itself. Uh, in, in ways like that. I'm thankful that we are saved by grace. Um, and, and certainly James and too. By the way, do you know who was overseeing the council at Jerusalem in Acts 15? James. Okay. Whenever, whenever um, these, these people were brought before the council. Uh, and, and there's this big debate in Acts 15 of whether or not uh, Gentiles are to uh, have to be circumcised in order to be saved. James says absolutely not. Let them be. Okay, uh, he, he is not a a fake faith plus works kind of guy or a work salvation guy. He is a grace alone uh, guy, but he's very serious about how the gospel relates to our lives. And we know that the gospel is not mere knowledge. Hopefully we know that the gospel is not mere mental ascension, affirming the right doctrines, but it is a transforming work by God. In the heart of a human. It is a transforming work in the heart of a human. So let's move towards some exposition here. Uh, looking back at verse 14, if you will, with me. Uh, we're going to see James presenting an argument here. Okay? Or, or asking a couple of questions. Uh, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? One of the questions that you have to ask is, Okay, what, what works is he talking about? How does James seem to be defining uh, works here? And I think it's quite clear. I think context gives us the answer. You see, James, this book of James, is not a bunch of scattered arguments that don't relate to one another. It is a letter. And it is a letter that has a flow and a purpose. And it is leading towards certain conclusions. And they're building off of one another. And they have been up until this point. And I think that James here is, is calling works acts of love, but he identifies a few of these for us. If you'll go ahead and flip to chapter 1, and we'll just walk through just a few of these. Context is really helpful here. So again, I'm going to ask a question as we, before we walk through these. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he is as faith, but does not have works? The first thing that we see James talking about is perseverance under trial. Are you a person who proclaims to have faith, but you do not persevere when things aren't going right? You seem to dishonor God, to reject God's sovereignty, His wisdom for your life when things aren't comfortable for you? Faith without works is dead. Alright, so perseverance is the first thing he talks about. Hearing and doing the word. Are you a person who proclaims to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you can hear the word proclaimed, you can read it for your personal Bible study, 
You can talk about it with your spouse, brothers and sisters, etc. And you don't do it. Hearing and doing the word. Um, and, and we see this in um, chapter 1 in particular, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Faith without works is dead to that type of person. Chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is a religious person and does not bridle his tongue. I'm sorry, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart. Um, are you a person who proclaims to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, yet you cannot bridle your tongue? James would say, faith without works is dead. His arguments are building up here. Visiting and caring for the afflicted, those who are in need. Uh, we see this in verse 27 of chapter 1. Um, are, you a religious, are you a person who has faith in Jesus, but you do not care for the Care for the orphan and widow. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Are you a person or do you have children or grandchildren who profess Jesus? But they are not about to care for anyone who can't give something to them back. I think that's why James highlights orphans and widows here. Who, what are orphans and widows? They're helpless. Or, or My family has adopted seven, my goodness, seven children. It's happened a lot. I'm getting old, I guess. But um, seven children, and I love them dearly, obviously. I really do. And I wish we could spend a ton of time with them. They're sweet and fun. But I know from that experience that orphans fundamentally cannot give my parents anything. They can't. They've got nothing to offer. They're in an orphanage in China. They've got nothing to offer my parents, okay? Or anyone who would participate in adoption. They're, my parents are just in my experience. But anyone. Orphans can't give you anything. Widows who are suffering can't offer you anything. And pure religion is caring for those who can't give anything back. That's why he's highlighting this. Um, we as humans can quite often um, serve those who can serve us, Right? Well, if I, if I do this, surely I'll be seen as the person who serves well in the church. Or, you know, maybe I'll get some sort of uh, benefit or recognition for doing this, that, or the other. We do that as humans. But pure religion is caring for those who can't give anything back. Are you a person who professes faith in Jesus, but, but does not care for those who can't give you a thing? Be sacrificial, is what James is saying here. Uh, he goes on. Chapter 2, um, he talks about showing partiality based on worldly measures. He talks about showing partiality to the rich. Okay, uh, Rich person comes into your, um, into your sanctuary. What do you do? You just, hey brother, welcome. Mighty fine to see you here today. While there's a poor man who comes into the back, maybe doesn't have the right clothes on, and we just look past him. Is that... How we operate, that's not how pure religion or people who have a uh, true faith operate. That's what James is saying here. And then finally, to love your neighbor uh, as yourself in chapter 2, uh, verse 8. Um, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. 
James has defined what these works are for us. Okay, They're works of love. Nothing in here um, has, has he said thus far that you have to have faith plus do this. No, what James is saying is true faith will stir you to do such things uh, for others. And he's going to prove his argument. And all, we, all he's done right now is ask the question, and we've defined what works are. But he's going to prove uh, his argument by offering a, a, a scenario. And he's going to offer a couple of scenarios here. But the first one is found in verse uh, 15, if you'll read with me. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So let's think about this. All right? People having, or we can just, I'll use myself, all right, instead of my wife. I looked over here, I was like, nah, probably not, but I'll, I'll use myself. If I encounter someone with a, with a need, whether that be uh, food or clothing, and in the, in, the, in the original language, this lacking clothing really is interpreted uh, or uh, really means naked. This person does not have the clothes necessary to live and survive in the environment. And I tell this person, oh, and I pat him on the back. Hey, brother, go in peace. Be warm and filled. What have I done? Absolutely nothing. Um, But we as humans can do that. Uh, Maybe we wouldn't do so so explicitly, but we can do that. We can want good things for people in need. We can have our emotions stirred a little bit for those who are in need. But if we are not willing to self-sacrifice, to give of something that we have for people who cannot, to people who cannot help us out, what good is it? I mean, I just imagine uh, I, the, the many times that, I've, that I have done that. Well, I want good things for this person, but maybe I'm not extra, actually willing uh, to follow up on that. Because I got a lot of things going on. Or I feel like I have other priorities. Faith without works is dead. And he follows that up uh, in verse uh, 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And then we look... um, I'm sorry, let's... uh, I'm going to read 1 John 8.13. Sorry, there's not 8... Eight chapters in First John. There's only th- there's only a handful, but if you look in First uh, John three eighteen, you'll see little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Don't be a church. Don't be a people who profess the good things of the gospel. Who 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 rely on Jesus for salvation, but who are not willing to go out of your way to serve those who maybe don't look like you, like the rich person versus the poor person who comes into your congregation, who talk a little differently from you, or who would require something or detour you from where your agenda uh, is going. Uh, in conclusion, obviously, from, from this scenario, he, he quite plainly says this type of faith is dead, and he said it's not real. Um, One commentator says this, Sympathy, like every other emotion, is meant to influence action. If it doesn't, what use is it really? What is the good 
of getting up fire in a furnace and making a mighty roaring of steam if it all escapes through the waste pipe and drives no wheels, meaning a train. That's that's an older illustration. And what good is faith that only escapes through the escape pipe of talk? I've got to lose this. It's kind of warm. Sorry. Um, And so what good is it is is what uh, James is saying here. And he's going to go on and continue to argue. So flipping back over to James 2 in verse 18. And and the point of verse 18 through 19 is this. Genuine faith is not mere acceptance of creed. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So we've got a second scenario presented. And the second scenario... Uh, is, is someone who comes, and it's kind of interesting or, or odd language here, I think. Um, and you really have to, to study and, and uh, try to figure out uh, what's going on here to make sense of it. Uh, but someone will say, verse 18, you have faith and I have works. And what that person is doing whenever that person says that is he's putting faith and works into two different spiritual gift type of categories. Okay, Mr. Carl, your spiritual gift is faith, but hey... My spiritual gift is works. You know, we, we kind of do our own thing. You know, God's blessed you with faith. And uh, surely faith is a gift, is it not? You know, it's nothing that, you know, it, it is a gift of God. But, I, but, I have, but I've got works. But James quickly says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Simply to say, once again, there's no such thing as faith without works. Faith, in fact, is confirmed by works. And when we say again, um, works, we mean acts of love. Scenario number two, or number three here, in verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Um, The three major religions of the world uh, all proclaim uh, that God is one. We have Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Okay? Each of those get something right about God. That God is one. He is one. While there are many other religions, like Hinduism, for example, that you have a, a pantheon. I mean, you, you've got millions, 30 million plus gods in Hinduism. Um, it's wild. This person says something right about God. He, he says something right about God in creed, okay? God is one. And James affirms, yes, you're right, you do well, but even the demons believe and shudder. Uh, That is not good enough, okay? Uh, What James is going to be saying here is that just an affirmation, a verbal affirmation of some intellectual ascension that is true about God does not make your faith genuine. It doesn't at all. Uh, He he gets this out of Luke 4 uh, from the account where Jesus uh, confronts a demon and it's uh, Luke four thirty one through 34. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit, or had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Had you, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon and when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. What did the demon say? The demon had a right affirmation of who Jesus was, right? What does he say? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. He had a right decree. He had a right proclamation. He had something right intellectually about who Jesus was. But quite obviously, the faith of this demon is not able to save. This is a phony type of faith. This is a type of proclamation that does not match with his lifestyle. That's what it is. Um, and, and, um, and James wants us to see uh, straight through that. Verse 20 of, of chapter 2 in James, flipping back. Uh, James is going to go on to prove his case further. And the point of verse 20 through 26 is that genuine faith produces an obedient life. Do you want to be shown, you, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. James is going to be appealing here to a, a patriarch of the faith. Uh, to someone of, of great significance in the history of the church. Great significance in the history of, of Christianity. Uh, Abraham. And, this is, and the scenario that he's going to be calling into uh, view here is found in Genesis 22. Where Abraham is commissioned by God to go offer. By God to go offer um, his son Isaac uh, as a sacrifice. Now think about this with me. This is the, waited, the, the son that they have been waiting on uh, for so long. Okay? We know that, that Abraham was promised uh, prior to this passage and many years before this passage that he would be given a son and that he would be the, the father of many generations and that God was going to make his name great um, for generations to come and, and that the whole nations or all of the earth the whole world, all of the nations would be blessed through his lineage. That can't happen without a son. And so Abraham waited. And he waited and he trusted God. He waited and waited and waited. And now he's well out of reproduction age. He's old here. And and God miraculously, miraculously blesses him with a son. And they call him Isaac. Okay, and Sarah's laughing at the whole matter. Uh, because she's quite up in age as well. Uh, but this is the son of promise. This is the son that they had been waiting on. They trusted God. They knew that God was going to deliver on what he said. They knew he would. Um, they had confidence in God's covenant-keeping ability and word-keeping ability. They knew that they, that, they, that they would be blessed with the son. And now God has called him to go sacrifice this one who would be the blessing, the source of blessing for the nations. Um, what a bizarre thing. It's kind of odd, quite honestly. Um, but, but what God is doing here is he's testing Abraham uh, to prove uh, his faith. What's great about this is in, is in uh, Genesis chapter 15. And I think it is verse 6. Before this account, uh, we read this. And he believed, speaking of Abraham, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him 
as righteousness. Abraham has already trusted in God's covenant-keeping ability. He's already trusted that God is going to make a way uh, in this. And, and he knows that even, even as he's going up the mountain, with the wood on Isaac's back as they're trudging up the mountain, with no sacrifice at all, uh, that even as he is laying Isaac on the altar, even as he is going to pull the knife out of, out of his pocket to sacrifice his own son, that even when he is going downward towards his son to sacrifice him, that, that God is going to intervene. And God is going to provide. And he tells that to his son even. Uh, his son looks says, hey dad, what's going on here? Uh, you know, wh- where's the sacrifice? Or where's the lamb? What are, what are we going to do? And what does he say? God will provide. Um, faith, true faith, not counterfeit faith, but true faith has the ability to compel a person, a believer, to obedience to God, confidence in God, even in tough situations, even when obedience is hard. Obedience is not always easy, is it? It always leads to our good. We as narrow and and short-sighted human beings don't always see the good in, in obedience, but obedience always leads uh, to true joy and happiness. Obedience to God does. Uh, but it is not always easy in the moment. In, the, in this situation in particular, sacrificing uh, flesh and blood that will be uh, the source of blessing for the generations to come. But faith without works is dead. And Abraham is evidencing Genesis 15, verse 6, that it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God. And he was going to carry that out. There's another person, um, a, a quite, quite different person that James highlights um, in his argument that faith without works is dead. And this is the person uh, of Rahab. Um, and you see this in verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. The narrative that he's referring to there is found in Joshua in chapter 2. And we'll just look at a couple of things about, uh, about this passage. And, w- and we know the story of Rahab. Um, th- they're going to, to uh, or Joshua the son of Nun had sent two men uh, secretly uh, as spies. And, and they're to go and investigate the land. People are after them. Rahab hides them gives them a place to stay, and protects them as they are uh, on their journey and on their way. And what I want to point out to you and what I'd love for you to read with me is, is uh, Rahab's confession. It's interesting, Abraham, a patriarch of the faith, Rahab, a prostitute. Um, quite different types of people that we have here. Uh, but in chapter 2, verse 8 of Joshua, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She's speaking in confidence of the acts of the Lord. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. And Sion and Og whom you have devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God, in the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. 
Her, her profession is true. Okay? Her profession is true. And her acts of protection for the people of God and God's providence um, serve to confirm her profession. Um, and so uh, James, James looks at the prostitute, uh, one of the lowliest of people, um, to, to show that even faith for this person is confirmed uh, by her works. And finally, he's got a conclusion uh, in verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Uh, can someone kind of define... I know Mr. Phil Shuffett, you do, you do something with science, right? You have. Could you define for me uh, the distinction and, 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 and where the body and spirit dissect or, or of course I know he cannot this is a trick question I have stumped a scientist alright that was my goal but uh, I was hoping you were going to be here because I was planning to ask that um, I don't know who else could pose for a scientist Harvey you've experienced a lot so um, you, you can't dissect body and soul you, you can't there, there's no human Capacity, facility, telescope, microscope, explanation for where these two dissect. As a living human being, you are a person of both body and, and spirit. You are. There, there's no this and that. It's together. There, there's no way to dissect it. And James's conclusion is just that. Uh, it, you know, faith... True faith, not counterfeit faith, is a saving faith. It always has a transformative work on a person's life. You cannot be a believer and live in the ways of the past. You can't. I don't care how many people can come around you. Um, and just like uh, my great basketball players at Boys College who have gotten kicked out of school, I don't care how many pastors you've tricked. I don't care how many parents you've tricked. Grandchildren etc., friends, husband, wife. Faith without works is dead. And it, this passage is a great uh, opportunity for us to evaluate uh, our, own, our own lives um, at just that. And so I hope that the three different um, scopes of listening were helpful. I hope that we can evaluate our own lives. I hope that we can evaluate the gospel that we proclaim, not just a walk the aisle theology gospel, not just a a uh, decree gospel, but, but a life transformative gospel, but then all, that we'll also think about uh, those who are uh, around us, whom, whom we're in relationship with, uh, as we, as gospel-bearing people, um, have some sort of God calling, God mandate and accountability uh, for their lives. And finally, I want to just kind of think about this with you really quickly um, in terms of how it relates to the mission of the church, okay? Um, how it relates to the mission of the church. Imagine a situation in which billions of expertly counterfeited dollars have suddenly flooded our streets and rooftops. Literally, dropped from airplanes. Some of the counterfeit bills will be turned in, but others uh, will be used and likely not detected. Consumers and producers, unsure of which notes were real, would lose all confidence in the currency. An economic crash would surely follow. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of um, 
Operation Bernard. Has anybody ever heard of Operation Bernard? All right, Operation Bernard was an attempt by Nazi Germany uh, to produce exactly the British pound, the British note. Uh, They had produced over the course of five years 134 million pounds in British of British currency. And what, they, and what Nazi Germany was hoping to do was literally that. They were going to fly air... This, this is historical. This sounds crazy, but it's really... It, it's true. They were going to fly airplanes over the metropolitan areas of uh, Great Britain, flood the economy with counterfeit dollars, thus causing economic inflation, thus causing economic chaos, and having uh, all of England and, and Great Britain... Um, fall. In fact, uh, the war was very expensive, and they thought if they could do this, that the Nazi Germany would stand a really good chance of being able to defeat a, a country that was in economic chaos. It's called Operation Bernard. It's quite fascinating. They never were successful as the war ended before they were able to do this, but these dollars and notes have been uh, recovered and seen. Uh, but the same is true of the church. And this, is what I, and this is what I want us just to kind of leave with and contemplate. If we flood our streets, our mission field, our world with people of counterfeit faith. If we're a church that is okay with walk the aisle theology. If we are grandparents who are okay with assuming that, that little Johnny and little Emily Ann are, are believers. Because they've been to church their whole lives and they can say a couple of right things about, um, about who Jesus is, and we send them out as Christians, very soon people will begin to lose confidence in the gospel at all. Hypocrisy will surely follow because they, are, they do not possess genuine faith. And so I know we're a Sunday night crowd. I, re- I know we are. And I know many of you are... are Believers who have stood the test of time and and will stand the test of time. But test yourself. Think about those around you. Lead those around you towards deeper uh, fellowship and and grace and deeper deeper knowledge of the gospel into a uh, situation where the Lord can really work true faith in them. Because surely faith without works uh, is dead.